So what are the most common items on our prayer list? What are the most common petitions, the most common items on our prayer list? Okay. Healing. Guidance. I heard something on the other side of the room. That's a long word, so I use a symbol. And anybody that's been with us long enough knows if I get more than four letters, I'm going to misspell something. <clears throat> Be quiet, Shay. <laughs> okay, so last week I asked a somewhat related question. Uh, what is the goal of our prayers? And a lot of those goals are fleshed out in our petitions as well. It's like, Lord, guide me. Show me what direction, what path, what decision. I've got A and B. Uh, I, I desire your guidance, right? Um, Father, I need, I need provisions. I need cash. I need money. I need, give us today our daily bread. There's, there's a need for, for you to give me what I cannot uh, just obtain on my own. We know that every good thing is a gift from above. So I pray to you that you would provide in a way that I can't. Or maybe provide over and above. It's like I got what I need, but Father, here's what I want. Like I'm driving the Ford, give me the Mercedes. Right? It could go that way too. Let's be honest. We're not judging your petitions at this point. We're just being honest with them, right? Uh, Father, heal. We ask for healing. We ask for healing. Heal, heal what is broken in me, what is not uh, well. We ask for that healing. We're praying for salvation. Sometimes we're praying for our own salvation in our DNA groups that are meeting in our homes right now. We've talked about that a little bit. It's like, like I'm here uh, because I want to know. Father, reveal and in a way, you're praying for your own salvation when you're praying for God's revelation to come about. But oftentimes we pray for Father to um, bring salvation in the lives of those we love. Right? So my son, my daughter, my mother, my father, my cousin, my friend, we're praying for their salvation. That they might meet and know Jesus so that they might uh, be a part of the kingdom of God, the family of God. So here's the interesting thing. <clears throat> A lot of times, this goes, heal me, save me. And this may not be an eternal situation. Save me from my current situation, right? I screwed up. need you to fix it. Guide me. Provide for me. Now, I'm not here this morning to like condemn and make you feel bad for praying for yourself. But I do think it's interesting that most of the time when we make petitions, the petitions are for ourselves. Right? True? True. You can nod your head no, but I will call you out as a liar this morning. That is true. That is true. Most of the time when we pray and petition God for change, we're, we're asking change for our own situation, our own life. Question for you this morning. What if where you live is driving how you pray? What if where you live is driving how you pray? What if the most central part of prayer that Jesus taught is absent from most of our prayers? 
the most present and central thing that Jesus taught about praying, what if where you live has caused that central thing to be absent from your prayer? It's like, whoa. You mean my location can determine my theology? My location, my, my time and place in history could actually cause me to overlook the most central and significant aspect, not significant, but one of the most central aspects of prayer that Jesus taught on? I think it could. I think it could, and I actually think it does. So I ask that question with a motive in mind to get you thinking. I read a book. Actually, I want to be honest. I didn't read it. I had the audio book. It would have sounded more spiritual if I said I read it. But like I was laying floors and listening to the audiobook. I don't have much book time anymore. Um, and it's called, uh, it's written by a guy named, uh, last name Bethke. The book is called The Hell with the Hustle. I thought it was a great book, referenced it a few months, a couple months ago. But he says in here, this, here's, a, here's a blip from that book. He says, a few decades before the American Revolution, a peculiar trend started to show up among many Americans. The promise of the West during that time was that you were living in history. This is how humanity and government and community should be structured, they thought, because it is far superior to anything else. The prevailing sentiment was pride in finally achieving the zenith in what we had worked thousands of years for, civilization. This is as good as it gets. But then something strange started to happen. People who were outside of that culture, namely the Native Americans, they didn't see the Western American way as attractive as the Western American people started. The, the Western American people started to get drawn into the Native American life. Benjamin Franklin started to notice it, this, and he wrote to a friend in 1753, he said, when an Indian child has been brought up among us, taught our language, and uh, habituated to our customs, yet if he goes to see his relations and make one Indian ramble with them, there is no persuading them to ever return. And it wasn't just the Native Americans, he said. English people would literally be captured by Native Americans, and if they were ever recovered or ransomed back to the English society, there was a noticeable pattern of them hating and being disgusted by Western life. They wanted to go back to tribal life. Interesting. That in the West, we perceive that we have finally figured it out. We have come to the pinnacle of life and society and structure, and this is the destination. This is what everybody longs for. But interestingly enough, they had the Native Americans who didn't live like we live. They lived in a tribal setting. And it said that should a Native American uh, raised in our culture experience his ancestors' culture, he didn't want to come back. And should, should one of our own people even be captured by the Native Americans, they come home and they're disgusted by the pinnacle of life that is the Western society. It's interesting. Interesting that this is what was happening. So let me ask you this. What might have attracted the English to tribal life? What is it about tribal life that could have been attractive to the Englishman? What benefits exist in belonging to a tribe? I don't know if I want to write your answer. No. <laughs> hmm. 
So benefits of tribal life. What are they? What could they have been attracted to? Such as, how's that come about? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you made a comment that it's a, my purpose is centered on the needs of others. That's what you said. It's like the one of the potential values that they would have seen and been attracted to is like when I do this, I know I'm not doing this simply for myself. I'm doing this for us, and that's a greater purpose because there's more people involved. What else may be attractive? Okay. I think it with their roles, right, their purpose. So how does thing become simplicity? See, that's what happens. Too many letters. <laughs> and why are things more simple though? What 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 is it about it that draws the simplicity possibly? You don't have to be all things. You, have, you get to be the one thing you're gifted to be. And it supports the tribe, and then the tribe supports you. All right. So what else may be attractive about tribal life? is and I don't have to fake it till I make it dang that sounds like social media but I mean that's like those of you that are a part of this community of people it's like I mean I had a couple of you text me so I'm gonna say a couple that way if you texted me after Wednesday at my house and, and you had some sort of hesitation about how Wednesday night went, and you're like, hey, sorry if that went too far, because I was too authentic. And my response was, hey, I thought that was fantastic. That's why we've created this space. There was multiple people that texted me that after Wednesday night. And what we know in this community of people is that authenticity is okay. It's celebrated. Be who you are, be where you are, be in the journey where you're at, and, and we're going to walk with you as you are who you are and you are where you are. But, yeah. But then we put something on Facebook. And it's like those rules no longer apply because it's my page, it's my social media, it's my image. That, that, that didn't belong in our tribe. We function different, right? So I thought about maybe encouragement. Maybe there's greater encouragement from belonging to a tribe. Like what happens when you sink into yourself? You become very discouraged oftentimes because it's all about, it's all upon you it's all dependent upon you it's all around you it's all about you and that's just not very fulfilling or attractive internally it's like 
you think on the front end that if it's all about me, <laughs> that's going to be awesome. But then you get there and you find that that's actually pretty discouraging. It's actually depressing at times. Um, and my last one that I had that I'll throw in, strength. I think in tribal life that may have been attractive that you're stronger together than you are by yourself. I think that's possibly one of the things that was so attractive to him. Okay. So America typically lives by a different code. America is typically not tribal. What is the code we live by in America? Individualism. That's typically the code of life in America. Western society is an individualistic society. It's individualism. Okay. In the West, the individualized self is the highest goal of our society. Self is the highest goal of society. I have achieved. I have made it. My business is successful. My home looks good. I have what I want. I am fulfilling my desires. I, I, I. And therefore we pray, Father, heal me, save me, provide for me. And we begin to see how our current cultural setting drives our prayer instead of the teachings of Jesus driving our prayer. We may be influenced in our prayer more by this than we are by this. It's possible. It's possible. So self is the highest goal in our society. What usually stays... Uh, this was interesting. <clears throat> uh, Bethke in that book said this. If something stands in the way of the full realization of our self... Or he says, in the West, individualized self is the highest goal in our society. And what usually stands in the way of full realization of the self? It's other people, other groups, other tribes. So we throw them off. Right? So in individualism, self is the pinnacle. And as we pursue the full realization of self, there's others, there's tribes, there's opinions, there's everything. Other groups stand in the way of the full realization of self. So what do we do? We erase them from our lives. We throw them off so that we can realize the fullness of ourself. Because we are the pinnacle, right? This could touch on one of the most countercultural elements of the message of Jesus for us today. Like, I think the church has communicated something that may not be 100% accurate. I think sometimes in, 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 in recent history, the message of Jesus has been communicated as countercultural because we don't do this and we don't do that and we don't do this and we don't do that. Stop doing what bad people do and do what good people do. And that's been uh, the mentality of the message of Jesus that may have been stirred in recent history in our place. But I think this may be one of the most countercultural elements of the gospel ever. That we are, as followers of Jesus, not an individualistic tribe, but we are people who 
actually, in some form or fashion, fall back into the tribal life. Okay. The Lord's Prayer contains pronouns which indicate that I am not alone in my prayer. Look at Matthew 6. <clears throat> Is he still singing? <laughs> That's why we ask you to sing solos every Sunday. Solo, nobody can hear you. Oh, oh just kidding. Dang, that was wrong. It was funny, but it was wrong. That's usually what my jokes are. <laughs> so here we are, Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Therefore, Jesus says, you should pray like this. What, what's the first word of the prayer? Power. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The first word of how Jesus taught us to pray is our. Not my Father who is in heaven. He says, our Father who is in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give what? Give us. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive what? Forgive us of our debts as what? As we have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver who? Us from the evil one. I'm like, one of the most well-known passages of all of Scripture, I think, has one of the most overlooked principles in all of Scripture. How do I know that it's overlooked? Because most of our prayers are full of heal me, save me, guide me, provide for me. When, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, heal us, save us, guide us, provide for us. But I think our time and place and the culture we have causes us to maybe glance over that a little bit. Okay? Caused one, asker, one author to ask this, who are the others who present, whose presence turns into our, turns me into our? Who are the who are the others whose presence turns my into our and me into us? Who are the ones who gate crash my prayer and turn I into we? It's the question he's asking. We identified uh, in previous weeks that the Lord's Prayer is an abbreviated model of a common Jewish prayer. Dating back to 500 B.C., it's called the Amidah, or the Standing Prayer. So what Jesus was presenting here was not new to his listeners. Three times a day, all the nation of Israel would stop at 9, 12, and 3, and they would stand feet together. They would take three steps back as to exit from the, from the material, and three steps forward as to walk into the presence of the King of Kings, and they would stand feet together reciting 18 prayers that was called the Amidah. And Jesus here, in these few short verses, gives an abbreviated version, which many other rabbis would do. He's not the only one that presented an abbreviated version of that prayer style. But here, Jesus, abbreviating that entire thing. But think about that. Three times a day, all Jewish people stop what they're doing, turn towards Jerusalem, 
and communicate with God as a part of a greater community. Now, let me process that for a second. Like Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray on the street corners, don't pray in the synagogues to be seen by everybody. He said, actually go into your closet and pray in secret to your Father who is in heaven, and He will see you. He will see you there. But the interesting thing is, when the nation of Israel would do that, wherever they are, all over the world, scattered abroad in all nations, they would stop, turn towards the king, and together, three times a day, pray collectively, Father, heal us. Heal our land. Bring salvation to us. And they pray collectively as a part of a greater community. Scattered around the globe, their identity in God was a shared identity. It's just interesting to me. So that begs the question for us, and we have two questions to close out our time this morning. Our two questions, first one is this, who is the we of God for me? Who is the we for me? Like for us... Who is the we? Who is the our? Who is the us? Right. Open question. Who? Family? Okay. Is it family? Who else might it be? Community. Our community? Like... Okay. Who else might it be? The church. So it could be your local church. I'm going to add to that and say there's a global sense to the church. Not just your church, but all church. We, the people of the United States, oh, sorry. That's as far as I know. I wish I could tell you more. Um, but let me, uh, I wish I could write this, but this is too many words. It's the guy in the wheelchair who rolls past our street every Sunday morning on his way to teach Sunday school at the Presbyterian Church. Every Sunday morning as I'm getting out of my truck, we're setting out signs, he rolls past us. Whether it's cold and 20 degrees or whether it's hot and 100 degrees, it's him on his way to teach the class down the road. It's Fred's neighbor who's homebound on Sunday morning, can't go to a church anywhere. For them, the closest thing to church they have is Fred and Frankie living next door, loving on her until she passes. It's your local church. It's this, City Church, Salt County. It's the greater church. It's First Baptist. It's the underground church in Vietnam and China that can't come out for fear of persecution. It's all the children of God. All those who claim Jesus to be the Savior of the world. All who pray to God through the Son. It's all of us. 
It's all of us. It's those who worship different me than me. It's those who think different than me. It's those who speak different than me. That's where me turns to we. And when I think about that, you see in Revelation chapter 5, it says, You, Jesus, have purchased people by, you have pur- purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe, every language, and every people and every nation. You made them into a kingdom. So when you think about people purchased by the blood of Jesus all around the globe, People that don't look like you, think like you, smell like you, act like you, worship like you, talk like you. Every one of them whose identity comes from the blood of Jesus who purchased every one of us. And turned us into a kingdom. Scattered around the globe, our identity in Christ is a shared identity. So I just think about, historically, the nation of Israel stopping three times a day, turning towards Jerusalem. Wherever they are around the globe, their identity is found in in their Father, their Heavenly Father. And they stop and they turn towards Him, metaphorically. As they turn towards Jerusalem, collectively they pray. My identity's in the Father, but it's a shared identity right now. So I don't pray, Father, heal me. I say, heal us. Like, whoa. So when Jesus taught us to pray, and he said, Stephen, I want you to pray like this. Our Father. You know that you don't pray as your identity. Your identity and my son is a shared identity. You are connected to people all around this globe who have been bought by the blood of Jesus and brought into this family, have made up this kingdom, and you are collectively one unit striving together for the kingdom of God. Wow. It's just good. It's just good. Second question is why? If like, who is the we, then why does Jesus want me to pray in the plural? Why does Jesus want me to pray in the plural? Our, us. And I, don't, I want you to hold your answer real quick. Hold your answer. We're going to practice something real quick. Because I think you're going to conclude the answer as we practice. So think about this. Why? Does Jesus want us to pray in the plural? Our Father, who is in heaven, honor your name is holy. Give us, give us today our daily bread. Father, lead us, your people, all people, not into temptation. Father, deliver us. Deliver your people from the enemy. Forgive us of our sins, Father, as we, Father, we are forgiving those who sin against us. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us, all of us, Father, from the evil. Why does Jesus want us to pray 
in the plural. Because we're all the same, maybe? We're all connected? Yeah. We're all just children? If we're all connected, let me ask this follow-up question. If we're all connected, what happens if one of my brothers slips into temptation? He's overcome by the evil one. If we're all connected, and Zach falls into the trap of the evil one, what's the impact? Go back to the benefits of tribal life. If one is overcome by the evil one, then we're less strong than we were before. There's implications of the we. There's implications that should one of my brothers fall, all of us fall. Right? What else? Why does Jesus want us to pray in the plural? I got a lot of subtitles that go under what you just said. But I mean, that's, that's, that's what he's done, right? He's, I want to go back and say what Jesus said. We die to ourselves. I don't think individualism is the enemy. I just think it's our reality. And I don't think it's completely meshing with the gospel. Because Jesus does say, call us to die to ourselves, pick up our cross and carry it daily. Most of the commands of the New Testament are we commands. It's one another's. Like the, <laughs> so many people have said, uh, well, I, I can worship God on my own. I can, I can have faith on my own. I can do this on my own. I can read the Bible on my own. I, I want to have like this individualistic <laughs> faith that's not a part of a tribe anywhere else. But when you look at it and you're like, dang, dude. Number one, the entire Old Testament was written about a tribe of people. The entire New Testament is written to tribes of people called churches. It's like there is no individualistic faith in the Bible. It doesn't exist. It's a product of our culture. All right, so it, praying in the plural for us takes us back to the kingdom of God that we collectively are a part of, and that requires down to myself. So I got in the why. I think it creates humility. Humility. There you go. Like the older I get, it's like your signature. Like you write the first letter and everything else is a scribble. I do that with every word now. I can't seem to stick with it. Creates humility. I die to myself. That's the same thing, I think. They're like, when I say our Father, you're like, ah, oh, dang, I'm not alone. It's not about me. It's... This is not to elevate me. This is to elevate you. Like all who see the body see the head. 
Who is our head? It's Jesus. It's the Father. It's like our Father. I want to elevate you, and in doing so, I humble myself. I think it reveals responsibility. Give us our bread. Dang, there's hungry people all around the globe. There's those in our town that are hungry. And I'm praying, Father, that you would provide for us. What if you want to provide through us? I just, you recognize, give us today. Let us not fall into temptation. There are brothers in my tribe who are being tempted right now, and he has given me as a gift to be their strength. I'm responsible for my brothers and sisters. I'm responsible for those around the globe who are part of my family, even though I've never met them. It's, for me... stirs compassion. It's like my heart begins to break all over again as I pray for us. Like even though I'm in a good day, I realize that I have people in my family and in my kingdom who are wrestling today. And, and, and my heart begins to hurt and I begin to have compassion towards others because I am not the pinnacle of my existence as our father is, then now I begin to recognize the family of our father. And my, my heart longs for them. And I have compassion. Um, and then the last one I had, it enlarges the heart. It enlarges the heart. I'm more loving, more caring. Man, I just think we've been impacted by this more than, we, more than we recognize. The plural recognizes the common fatherhood of God. So the common brotherhood of man. <laughs> One guy said this, praying in the plural should cure war, strikes, and domestic feuds. It should cure them. It should eliminate them. We talked the other day, it was the most common reason for war around the world and around history. They've used religion as the name of it. But when we pray like Jesus says, it should eliminate battles and struggles and fights. And it should bring healing to our land as it brings healing to our heart. I was... Um, Leslie lost somebody this week that she loves very much. She called me the other day and said, hey, could you just like, come pray for my family? And it was interesting that as I'm studying this and I'm driving over to your, to your grandma's home, I begin to pray. And what's funny was I usually go into settings where I'm going to just be present and love people. It's like, Father, give me words to say. Give me the ability to give me... And what was interesting was I did this. I said, our father. Oh, dang. You're Leslie's father right now, too. 
You're Miss Judy's father. You're Miss Carla's father. You're not just my father giving me what I want. Give me. You are the father of everyone I'm about to walk into the presence of. You know what they need better than I do. You know how they feel better than I do. You know all things. And you love them more than I do. You are our father. And it just completely destroyed previous perspectives I've had walking into rooms of people. I'm like, oh, we're together in this. We're together. We're together. Our Father. I'm just praying in the plural. So how do we become part of the plural? Jesus has purchased people for God by His blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And He has made them into a kingdom. How do we become part of the kingdom of our Father? It's through the work of His Son. It's through faith in Jesus. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that nobody can boast. He has prepared good works for you to walk in for the foundations of the world. How do we find and engage in the life and the purpose? Let me, let me look. Let's end by pointing back to this. In Christ's woe, kingdom. By faith in Jesus, you're going to experience greater purpose. Because it's not about you, it's about us. And actually, it's not about us, it's about Him. But you're going to find your purpose, you're going to find your gifting, you're going to find your wiring, and you're going to find out how what you have been wired to do and gifted to do fits a greater purpose that serves a greater thing other than your own name. Because the gifts and the abilities that have been placed within each and every one of us was never meant to exalt ourselves. It was meant to collaborate with your brothers and sisters that it might exalt your Heavenly Father. And you're only going to find that in Him. You're going to find a simplicity that you don't have to be all things. You don't have to be everything. You have to be who you are and who you've been made to be because who Jesus is made to be is meant to offset who I'm made to be. And only as we collaborate together do we find the fullness of who the Father is as we work together. Because He gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, shepherds. And when we come together and we function together as a tribe of people for the name of Jesus, we just get to rest in our gifting. You're going to find authenticity. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus. You have not been invited into the family because you figured it out. You have not been invited into the family because you've earned it. You've pulled up your bootstraps. You've made a name for yourself. You've been brought into the family because you're a sinner. Because you're in desperate need of grace. And our Father offers grace through His Son, Jesus. That the weight of your sins was placed upon the body of His Son. And that he bled out in your place. The wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life that comes through Jesus. He died that we live and we live together as a family. 
And you get to be authentic in your wrestling match. You get to be authentic in struggling to become who you want to become, who God's made you to become, and getting past who you've always been. You get to be okay being in that because you're not going to stay in that, walking with Christ in the family. You're going to be transformed into the image of His Son. But it's okay that you are who you are today. You're going to find encouragement. You're going to find encouragement, number one, because life is not about you. Number two, because you're surrounded by people who recognize that too, and we get to walk together. I put on our, I put a, I used our picture of you blowing out a candle. We gave Sam a birthday cupcake. I'm offended he didn't eat it. But then I ate one, I realized they weren't very good anyways. <laughs> but I'm sitting there, every time I put a post out, I'm like, oh, what the heck do you write on this? I'm like, I don't know. But then I'm like, just thinking about celebrating your birthday and I'm thinking about our DNA group that was in my house on Wednesday night. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, God, it's just, I mean, all when I sit in the context of what God's doing in this group of people and I just look, I'm like, we are all over the map when it comes to our spiritual journey. I mean, just all over the map. It's like, how did this group of people end up in my living room? How does this group of people end up here on Sunday morning? I don't have a clue. But when I look and I'm like, we're all over the map. We're all different places when it comes to our spiritual journey. But none of us is walking that alone. My God, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's okay, Shay, that you're in a different place than me. That's cool, bro. Now, like, I got a vision for where we're going. (laughs) But it's okay. It's okay. Praise God that we're together. Praise God that as we consider the things of God, we don't consider them alone. But we find encouragement by considering them together. And then when I think about the strength, I'm like, if I had to do this alone, I'm screwed. Like There are days that I just don't want to do anything. There are days that I can't do anything. But even in those days, in my weakness, His strength perfects me. Like through the Spirit that ministers to me and then through His family that ministers to me. Right? And I am thrilled to say that in a more unique way than I've ever experienced in my life, this community of people strengthens and encourages me in a way that I've never found. Like, I don't think we've figured anything out, but I do think that that's legitimately happening. And I'm grateful for it. Right? And that's what we get when we get the kingdom of God, when we get to say, Our Father, collectively. I belong to a family. I belong to a family. I may pray for me, but I'm also going to pray for we. Like, my checkbook is empty. Father, can I have bread for today? But I also realize that I'm a part of a family that is completely dependent upon you for provisions. And every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. Comes from heaven above. And you're going to provide. We're going to seek first your kingdom and everything else is going to come. We're going to seek first your kingdom. Let your kingdom come right here, right now. That's my main agenda. Everything else is going to come. Everything else. How do we enter the kingdom? 
Just simply pray by faith. Father, I deserve to die. I've sinned against you. I know I have. And if you don't step in, I'm helpless. But I recognize that your son stepped in. He died in my place. I trust that. And he's not dead. I have victory because he has life. Three days after he died, he rose from the grave. I believe that. And because he rose from the grave, I'm going to raise from my seat right now. I'm going to walk in newness of life. By faith in Jesus, I proclaim that. I pray that. I tell you, Father, the rest of my life belongs to you. It's a pretty simple way to enter into his family. That's how you do it. What do you do next? Proclaim to the world what you just proclaimed to your heavenly Father. How do we do that? We do that through baptism. That you are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. You're showing the world what you have told your Father. I believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That as he was dead and buried, I too have laid down my old man and I come up a new man. We proclaim to the world what, what we've proclaimed to our Father through baptism. That's how it happens. That's what we do. We spend the rest of our life screwed up, messy people, struggling until Jesus comes back. And he perfects us all in his presence. Let me pray for you.